The Quocast, a status quo fan podcast. My guest in this episode of The Quocast is, um, well, he does loads of stuff. Uh, Dave Sweetmore, welcome to the podcast. Hiya, Jamie. Thank you for having me. You were telling me off air there that you are um, a massive Quo fan, but most of your life, because you're involved with DJing, on the radio, all things like that, you are more kind of indie and, and that sort of thing. So my question to you is, how did you get into Status Quo and how did they become your favourite band? Well, to be honest with you, I mean, I was always from a very, very young age, I was a big fan of music. And then uh, the first, my first experience really of Status Quo was when they brought out the Rock Till You Drop album, which I think was 1991. So I would have been 12 to 13. And I remember hearing that album, absolutely loving everything about it. And then sort of like looked at the back catalogue, because like I say, from a very, very young age, I, I was into music. And from Rock Till You Drop, I sort of, I don't know why I sort of skipped the 80s and kind of like went further back to obviously the early psychedelic days and then into obviously, you know, the obvious stuff, Paper Plane, Caroline, but stuff like Down the Dust Pipe, In My Chair, you know, Matchstick Men, stuff like that. I, I absolutely loved them from that moment on. It was, I was a massive fan and, and like probably all status quo fans, it, it never goes away. No, it doesn't. And because of the size of that back catalogue, uh, you always find something new, even if you've heard it before. Yeah, you do. And obviously they've done so many albums. And I mean, apart from the Rolling Stones, they've got to be the longest serving high profile band around, you know, and they've done so much stuff. And, and I love the fact that, you know, you get people saying the frantic forward, the best period, you know, and, and all that. But I, I think it's all good. I think all of it's good. It's all different. And, you know, you can listen to some of the earlier rock stuff. You can listen to stuff that's obviously got, you know, Ross's, you know, um, experiences and influences in and i just i just love it they've done they've done so much great stuff and obviously there's always going to be one or two songs you're not keen on one or two things they've not done you know but then you hear something else and you realize why you fell in love with them it's like it's like a long-term relationship really when you love a band as much as you love you know a band who've got the longevity of quote so when you started looking through and, and you went through the 60s stuff and the 70s stuff as you say and you started with rock to you drop which is a great starting point and one for many fans what did you think when you finally landed between 1980 and 1989 <laughs> i think that was the period of time where you know They'd kind of like, I think I think the heavy rock sound had gone. It had certainly gone a little bit softer. And, you know, there was a couple of albums like Ain't Complaining and Perfect Remedy and stuff like that were that were very, you know, of the time of the 80s. And if I'm deadly honest, they're not the albums I listen to the most of quote. Um, you know, and I, I dare say the people's, some people's favourite album. Um, I'd say that period of quote during the 80s is the is the is the period of time I listen to the least, but that doesn't mean I don't enjoy listening to it. I'm just a great fan of, you know, the earlier 60s stuff, the Frantic Four stuff. And then, to be honest, from Rock Till You Drop onwards, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed what they do. But, but like I say, Rock Till You Drop came out, they, they were all over television and radio at the time. I remember they did that where they got in the Guinness Book of Records, you know, they did four gigs in 24 hours. And that really was the start of the love affair for me. And that's that's never, ever gone away. No. And I know there are many fans that will share that experience. Um, have you seen them live? Yeah, I think I think the first time I went to see them was the, the Rock Till You Drop album came out. I don't I, did, I don't think I went to that tour. I went a year or two after. So I was think I was probably 13, 14 when I went to see them. 
And I think I've probably seen them perhaps 10, 12 times since, which I know is nothing compared to some fans. But, um, you know, I've seen them, and obviously I've seen them through the lineup since then. And I went to the Frantic Four tour, which, I mean, when, when they got back as the Frantic Four, that was something I never, ever thought I'd get to experience. I went to the first night of the first year they did it at Manchester Apollo, which is obviously where I'm from. And it was one of, it was everything I wanted it to be and more. And I I remember walking into the Apollo for the Frantic Four tour, thinking, is it going to be like it was, you know, in the 70s from footage that I've seen? And it was, it was, I'm at concerts and, you know, gigs every week and it's the loudest gig I've ever been to. And that Frantic Four reunion gig was without a doubt one of the best gigs I've ever been to. But, But like saying the dozen or so times I've seen them, they don't put on a bad show. They, they don't do a, a song where you think, I'm going to go to the toilet or to the bar now. They just put on a great live show. And even if you're not a Quo fan, you, you can't not enjoy a status quo gig. They're just brilliant. Oh, they they just light up the room. But the, um, from what I've seen, from the footage that exists from the Frantic Four reunion tour, I went to Hammersmith. And by that time, on that first tour, they kind of knew what it was they were doing. Whereas I think in Manchester, it was a bit more rough around the edges, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And they were one of the songs. And I'm not going to say which one it was because I can't remember. But the second or third track in, they got about a minute into it. It stopped and started again. But that was all part of it. It was the first time, you know, um, obviously Rossi and Parfit and Lancaster and Coughlin had had played together for years and years. But it was just part of the excitement for it to me. And like I say, I'm fortunate that for the last 20 years, I've been at a gig most weeks. And, you know, it's it's still one of the highlights of my life. But I wouldn't just bang on about the Frantic Four. I mean, I went to Kendall last year, which was the first time I've seen Quo play with Richie Malone. And it's just a great experience. And, you know, I'm not one of these that says, oh, it's not like it was and all that. Since Status Quo started, whenever you've been to see them, they're just a great live band and, you know, it's, it's always an experience and I'm, I'm devastated that the tour this year isn't happening. Yeah, I mean, that's it, it is sad because had you seen the modern lineup? Yeah, well, that's what I say. I went to last year, they, they did Kendall, they did a, a rock festival at Kendall at the headline. And that was the first time I'd seen him with Richie Malone. And what, what it was, it was almost like Richie's brought, you know, a, a new lease of life into the band and, you know, they were just, they were unbelievable. I think I interviewed Francis Rossi for, you know, my job just after that gig. And I said, it's almost like, you know, Rick Parfitt will never be replaced. And, you know, Richie Malone knows that and everybody knows that. But he has brought a new lease of life into the band. And I, I genuinely, genuinely don't believe they could have got anybody better for the job. And long live quote. Uh, he does a fantastic job at not just replicating it, but as you say, bringing... Um, something slightly different to it. And I, th- I think um, we certainly see that in the recent album, the Backbone album. What did you make of it? I loved it. I, I was, I was, I don't know what word I'd use. I was maybe a bit apprehensive about listening to it at first, but I was very, very excited. And then I, I remember going and getting it when it came out and I got it on CD, I got it on vinyl. And literally for, you know, a few weeks, I didn't listen to anything else. And, you know, I, I, I just think they've done a brilliant job bringing Rich in. Is is like I said, I don't think they could have got you know anybody better. And um, it's just a, a new era of quo in it. And you know, I, I can't wait to see what happens next. No, it's extremely exciting because we thought that it was all wrapping up with the last of the electrics and obviously the acoustic stuff. They said, oh, we're we're going to be taking the plug out and just doing acoustic, and and then suddenly they come back with 
all new stuff. Um, speaking of a, of a quo stick, which side of the fence are you on with that? I loved it. I, I absolutely, I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I still listen to it a lot. And, you know, some of the versions they did. And, you know, you can definitely hear a lot of Francis Ross's influences in it. You know, some leans a bit towards the country rock and stuff. And, yeah, like I said, I, I, re, I enjoy listening to it at the acoustic stuff as much as anything. I didn't get to see that show uh, on tour, unfortunately. But the, the albums, I absolutely, I love and I, I just love that, you know, they have come into like a new era of quo. And you say about, you know, was it going to be the end after the electrics? But <laughs> I hope that Francis Rossi wouldn't mind me saying this, but I don't think Francis, I don't think Rossi knows anything else other than to gig and tour. It's his life. It's a way of life for him. And I think he'll be doing it till, you know, as for as long as he possibly can. And if not, he'll be selling the ice creams. Yeah, that's it. He might go back to the family business. But, you know, I'm a great believer in, you know, when people talk about the various lineups over the year, it's something that's always frustrating me because... If you support a football team, you know, you don't, you, you never hear any football fans saying, I support such a team, but they're not as good as they were in the 60s and 70s. You need to get them players back. You just go with the time. And, you know, that's what happens with bands, especially that have got the, the longevity of Quo. And, you know, I, I think the way Francis Ross has held Quo together for this long is, is remarkable and long may it continue. Yeah, because like you say, I, I don't think he does know anything else and he's extremely good at what he does because he's not just uh, i think he got a little bit lazy for a while i think he he didn't really want to play lead a lot and it was more sort of more rhythm and just kind of supplementing what everyone else was doing it wasn't i mean when you listen to him in interviews you know he's still i mean he's played guitar longer than most people alive on this planet and he still rehearses for an hour or two every night religiously and, and, you know, I listened to your John Coughlin podcast, what you did, which I really, really enjoyed, by the way. And when I was listening to that, you know, I was listening to John saying how, you know, he's, Francis has stopped drinking before the gigs and, and made it all. But I suppose when you get to a certain age, you can't be living the lifestyle of drinking drugs before you go on stage. And, and you know, if the band had continued with that lifestyle, would they still be good on stage now? Probably not. You know, the, like I say, we're going back to it again, the show that Quo put on is is second to none and you know the fact that Rossi still rehearses like he does it's it, it shows and you know anyone who's never seen Quo honestly you need to go and see him because it, not only will it be one of the best bands you've ever seen you have one of the best nights of your life while you're there and I think there was something of a rebirth at Hyde Park last year for the Radio 2 event which I think blew off the cobweb somewhat I feel for that, and you, you may disagree, Jamie, I think the, the good thing with the Radio 2 gig was obviously Richie Malone had been brought in place. You know, he'd done some gigs with them. You know, they'd done the album. But I think that was the first sign that the general public, who perhaps aren't all Quo fans, got to see Richie on stage through telly, through the internet. And I think I think that was Richie Malone's moment when people went, Quo are still Quo, and they've got the right man for the job. I have to point out one comment I saw on Twitter, which made me laugh, which was towards the end of the gig, they played whatever you want, obviously. And somebody on Twitter went, who's that grey-haired old guy who's just joined them for whatever you want? And somebody had to reply, well, that's Andy Bowen. He's been with the band since practically 1976. And it's funny because some of those lesser members were, you know, in comparatively when you compare to when Rossi and Parfit used to do interviews, it would always be Rossi and Parfit, even to the point where some people describe them as a duo rather than a band. Um, yeah. So then suddenly 
you've got Rhino, you've got Andy, you've even got Leon doing vocals, and suddenly there they are at the front. That, that's it. I think you say, you know, unless you're a Quo fan, you know, your average man on the street would know Rossi and Parfit. And like you say, for a long, long time, you know, it, it was Rossi and Parfit, Rossi and Parfit. Uh, you know, the passing of Rick Parfit is tragic. You know what I mean? We all miss him. But I think the one thing it has done, it, it's made people perhaps realise that status quo is a band. And like you say, I mean, how long has Rhino been with him now since the early 80s? You know, it, you know, and he's done a great job in, you know, taking over from Lancaster. And like you say, Andy Bound been with him for over 40 years. And, you know, I think it's very much gone, you know, I, I hope you agree with this. I think it's very much gone back to a band rather than Rossi and Parfit. I, I think that's a fair comment. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I do agree with you there. And I think the latest album was definitely a showcase of that. The fact that, that I think they all had a writing um credit on there uh there was little moments for everybody i mean people have, have commented about the beginning of uh, waiting for a woman uh the opening track to uh, backbone going oh well it's very underkeyed and the way i see it is that the it's almost like introducing some of the new elements into the band because it's the first time that richie's been on an album it was the first time that leon's been on an original album rather than just doing um a scaled back version of a song they'd recorded with another band practically um and so this was the first time so having leon start it off I think is a great, you know. There's, there's nothing ego about that. I'd agree with that. And after the, after the passing of Rick, Rick Parfit, it would have been very easy for Rossi to go, you know, right. I need to take over here now, and he hasn't done. He's kind of like said, you know, he's almost gone. This is still a band, and he's let everybody have the moment. And and as you just said there, Jamie, it's sort of like all of a sudden it is a band again, and it's not Rossi and Parfit. And and the fact that I mean, one of the greatest things in music for me is the fact that they've released Backbone, and I think it's it's the biggest selling album since the early 80s you know and I think that shows that there's still a lot of love for Quo and there's still a lot of faith and belief in the band you know not just off the hard and Quo fans but off, off public music fans in general definitely there's still lots of stories yet to come I mean at the moment Rossi's doing all of his uh, talking tour stuff talking about um, well, his life. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I went to see that in Preston last year and I'm going to go and see it. Well, it should have been this year in Stockport, but it's been moved to next year. And I think it's great he's doing that as well because, you know, telling his life story and, you know, about how Matchstick Men came from the Jimi Hendrix song, Hey Joe. And I think it's brilliant what he's doing. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of social media in a lot of ways because it's a place for people to moan that they might not moan in person kind of thing and, and he's took a bit of bashing Rossi and I, I think it's my opinion is it's very very unfair he's, he's kept one of the highest profile greatest rock and roll bands ever on the road for so long now and the fact that he's going out telling you know his story and you know you look at the dates for the, the tour next year I talk too much these young bands couldn't handle that tour schedule <laughs> it's massive it's like three months long without a break so you know I, I just think it's brilliant what he's doing and it, this is probably a very daft comment, but he's one of the, the, the biggest rock and roll stars in the world. But I think he's still very much underrated for how great he is as a frontman and as a guitarist. Yeah. I mean, those some of those solos he did back in the 70s uh, were utterly, utterly amazing. And sometimes it even just sounded like, like sometimes it sounds effortless. 
But with him, it sounded both laboured and effortless at the same time. It does. He's a very, very natural musician. And, you know, I think that's why, you know, that, that's why he's great. I mean, how he's ran around the stage for years playing all them great solos. And he's still doing it now. And, and like I say, you know, it, it absolutely, the first time I heard that he still rehearses every night for an hour or two, it astonished me. But I thought that's why both Rossett and the band are so good at what they do. And, and like I say, the fact that, you know, Richie Malone's jumped in and, and as well. And I, I don't think they could have got anyone better. I just think the whole outfit now, I think it's a new era for Quo. It's been a really sad year because they brought the Backbone album out. You know, they were getting lots of radio play again. And, you know, I just hope that that momentum continues next year when things do go back to normal after this pandemic. Well, hopefully so, because there's just so much more material, I think, to come from them. And their live stuff was about to get a lot more interesting because it sounded like there was going to be a massive overhaul of the set list. Yeah, I got, I got that impression. I mean, obviously, people are still going to want to hear all the hits. I mean, as much as you get hard and Quo fans going to the gigs, you know, you get people going who just like Quo and just like gigs. So they've got to continue doing all the hits. It'd be, you know, it'd be stupid to think otherwise. But like, you know, going back to what we were saying before, Jamie, the, 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 the you know, the back catalogue is that big. You know, they, they could do a week's worth of shows, you know, with all different material, never mind a night. So, yeah, I think it is going to be very, very interesting. I listened to an interview with, with Richie Malone where he was saying, um, you know, one of his favourite tracks was One Man Band off the Rock Till You Drop album. And I'm thinking, that's a great song, man. Could you imagine him throwing something like, you know, like that live back in and... You know, I mean, I got excited years ago when they started doing Matchstick Men again and stuff like that. The, the, the amount of material they've done is, you know, very, it, it's endless. And it's funny, it's a bit a bit like the Beatles in a way. If anyone ever says to me, you know, they're not a fan of the Beatles or they're not a fan of status quo, I always say, you've not heard enough of this stuff. There's that much material. There's got to be stuff you like in it. Yeah, and I dispute that claim that everything sounds the same. Because the thing is, music has a similarity about it anyway. I think any band you listen to, you can hear similarities. That's why whenever they bring a new record out, you know straight away who it is. You know, and it's. I think it became a bit of a standing joke, really, didn't it? But, you know, they're just a, a great band, and I totally agree with you. All the music doesn't sound the same. You know, it's there's, just, there's so much material to go through. Yeah, and I do like the fact that in the, uh, the late 2000s, they suddenly started to embrace that 60s career because up until that point it they played like matchstick men and ice in the sun occasionally but the fact it was now a part of the set and they released um a greatest hits album called pictures uh was was amazing and i wonder whether that was an attempt to try and sell it in america I don't know, to be honest with you. I've, I've never thought about it like that, but you, you're quite possibly right. But I mean, the 60s stuff for me, which does often get forgetting about, not, not just not just on the live shows, but generally. I mean, some of that early, you know, the, the, the psychedelic stuff from Matchstick Men and Ice in the Sun and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, so the crossover period, I mean, one of my favourite Quo albums, probably the Quo album I listen to the most is Mark Kelly's Greasy Spoon. And when you listen to some of the stuff on that, it's just brilliant. And I mean... April, Spring, Summer and Wednesdays, that's got to be one of the greatest records ever made. You know, it's, and I really do hope they do start digging back into that because not only is it where they began, it's just great music that shouldn't be forgot about. No, and there's a track on the following album from that, um, from the Dog of Two Head album, Something's Going On In My Head, which I always think is, that is the moment where suddenly they're shedding their 
psychedelic roots because you've got that it's it's half psychedelic and yet half rock and roll at the same time and i think that's that's almost like they're shedding their skin and i'd like to hear that in in uh, in a gig sometime it is and stuff like good Ungler, you know stuff that they've done for a long time in a sense you listen to that and you know like going back to what you just said people say a lot of the stuff the lot of material sounds the same i mean where on earth did that come from it's an absolute you know, genius piece of music. And like you say, there's a lot of stuff on Dogger Two Heads and stuff like that, you know, that isn't heard enough. And, you know, if anyone does want to know more about status quo rather than rocking all over the world, whatever you want, and in the army now and that kind of stuff, listen to that kind of stuff. And, you know, so many bands were were influenced by status quo and, and perhaps perhaps they don't always admit it. I know, I mean, Kasabian, they brought a, a song out a few years ago called Shoot the Runner. And the B-side of that was their version of Pictures of Matchstick Men. And I'm thinking it just shows how influential status quo were, not just through the Frantic Four and and new period of the band, right back to the early days. I think they're so important uh, and influential that, you know, sometimes it's overlooked just how important they are. Even uh, the other day I was watching a video, it was like a 100 guitar riffs of the 70s or something and it was this guy playing guitar and he got about halfway through it was like 51 or something and it said pictures of matchstick men by camper van beethoven (laughs) and yeah and i'm like okay then um you know because it's funny that i i often run into quo connections even when i'm not looking for them you know there's always something there where you think they had something to do with that or they were involved in that. Um, I was going to ask you, because you're a, a DJ, you've done DJing and, and all that sort of thing. What kind of music is that? I've made a career out of the Manchester music scene and the indie music scene. So obviously the Manchester music scene is your obvious Stone Roses, Oasis, Happy Mondays, stuff like that. I've worked with them bands for a long, long time. That's where I've made my name and my career. Uh, the indie music scene, I think indie is such a generic word. I think if the word indie had been around in the 60s, bands like the Beatles, the Animals, Small Faces, Yardbirds, Rolling Stones, uh, even status quo, they would have been classed as an indie, i.e. independent rock and roll band. So it's everything from the early 60s stuff to the jam, Sex Pistols, The Clash, right up to, obviously, the Arctic Monkeys, Cortinas, bands like It's basically guitar music. Yeah. I mean, the Beatles track that's come to mind that always makes me think it could have been released in any uh, era is Helter Skelter. I knew you were going to say that. that. Yeah. Really, a lot of people, I, I work with a lot of DJs and, and stuff like that. Helter Skelter, really, at many classes, the first ever dance record, because that, that record, really, it could have been a Chemical Brothers song or it could have been something Fat Boy Slim had done. And, you know, I mean, we're going on to another band here, aren't we? But again, the Beatles, it's like, you know, what they did in, in less than a decade. They covered so many, you know, genres of music. And, and that's where I go back to the previous comment of, you know, status quo and the Beatles, if, if anyone says, oh, I'm not really into them, I don't get it, it's a case of, well, they did, they've done that much stuff, you've not listened to enough of it. No, and there is so much there to go from. And well, the reason I say Helter Skelter is because around 2006 to 08, there was a massive load of guitar bands suddenly come out that were really up high in the charts. And to me, listening back to that stuff had a very similar kind of feel um, to what was coming out at that time, yeah. Well, so you, you mentioned Helter Skelter, and I was trying to think of the other the records to cross-reference it with. I think Helter Skelter uh, and Tomorrow Never Knows, they're the two Beatles tracks that 
really started not only dance music, but the heavy metal sound as well. I mean, like I say, Tomorrow Never Knows was probably the more dancier of the two tracks, but then Helter Skelter, it was like, a, it was just a heavy metal record of, the, of that time, really, wasn't it? So Tomorrow Never Knows and Helter Skelter, for me, were the, was the beginning of dance and, and metal, really. And in quo terms, they're often termed as hard rock and yet i think really the hardest record i think they often say is drifting away from the from the quo album in fact that whole album is probably the hardest that they've ever gone yeah definitely i mean like one of my favorite tracks from that that period of time the early 70s if you like was slow train and back then you would have classed them as a hard rock band but you know when you listen to stuff like wild side of life and margarita time you can hear rossi's influences and i think that's a great thing because you know, without, you know, you just look back to the early rock and roll stars, the like of Jerry Lee Lewis, Buddy Holly, Little Richard. They were all influenced by the early, you know, country and Western rhythm and blues gospel sound. And that's all that Francis Rossi does is go back to his influences. And whenever I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of new music, I love supporting new bands. And whenever I discover a new band or I hear a new band, I always love to find out what influenced them and what they was into. And that's exactly what I did with Status Quo. And the fact that Francis Rossi often releases material that is what he's into and is what influenced him. I love it and I really, really relish it. And, you know, the album that he's, he's done in the last couple of years with Hannah Ricard, I, I love the fact that he's just done an album, what he wants to do. I love it. And, you know, yeah, they've been a hard rock band. They've been a rock and roll band. They've been a bluesy band. They've been going 50, 60 years. They've done, they've been a lot of bands, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, I, I liked that, that album. I mean, technically, although it was with Hannah Rickard, technically that's like his third solo album, technically, big following King of the Doghouse in 96. And then One Step at a Time in 2010, which was very, I, I think he called it like Quo at one point, One Step at a Time, because that's what it sounds like. It's, it's sort of, it sounded like half of it was sort of half like Quo rejects. Yeah, I, I get that. And maybe it's stuff that the rest of the band perhaps didn't want to go on an album, but was too good to, you know, sit in a writing book at his house, you know what I mean? And I, I think all, you know, if you include the latest album, all three solo albums he's it, done have been brilliant and I've enjoyed them. It's almost like a different experience to listening to Quo, but still listening to one of your favourite frontmen. So, yeah, I'd agree with that. And, um, but yeah, King of the Dog Owl, stuff like that, brilliant, really good. Rick Parfitt's solo album was a surprise, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Um, you know, again, it was great, and it, it makes you wonder if, if Rick hadn't sadly passed away, what would have happened next? Would he have done more solo stuff? Would he have done a solo tour? I mean, one thing that really interested me, going back to your last podcast with Coglan, was when, when John said there was talk of doing a, a status quo PLC. I found that really, really interesting that that was in the pipeline, you know, and, and I think it shows that Rossi's perhaps moved on and, and wants to do status quo of now, whereas you know, perhaps the other three members, Coglan, Lancaster and Parfit, still wanted to relish the frantic four days. I found that really, really interesting in it. You know, we're never going to find out, but it would have been interesting to see what would have come of that. Well, and I just hope that there is something out there, that, that there is something that nobody's told anyone about yet that's just hidden. I think there's got to be. Do you know what? There's got to be so many songs, so many recordings, so many live performances. There's got to be so much stuff that we haven't heard yet. And, you know, we'll probably never hear a lot of it, but to hear some stuff that we didn't expect, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting, the prospects of that. We're getting to hear some of that through the 
deluxe releases that have been coming out over the past 10 years or so. Now, you're you're on the radio. Give us a, a little bit of a thing. I mean, I know that you, you've interviewed Francis on on the radio. Um, give us a, kind of a brief rundown of your show. What it, What is it? My, I, I do a lot of filling in and stuff like that on shows um, and nice. All, everything I do on the radio is based around music and sport. My particular show that's based on a station in Manchester uh, is an indie rock and roll show. It's an absolute privilege to do it. Uh, and I play I play everything from, I always call it the best records ever made. So, you know, that, that includes a lot of the indie type stuff. But I, I love playing music that influenced our favourite bands now. So, you know, for, the, the obvious one is obviously Oasis. Everybody knows that, you know, the Beatles and Slade and T-Rex and the Rolling Stones influenced them. So, so my particular radio show I do in North Manchester, um, in the Manchester area, is, is very much based on great, mainly British rock and roll music. And it's great that I can throw cool stuff in as well, obviously. Do you go kind of obscure at times? A little bit. It's a very, it's a mainstream station I work on um, that, that broadcasts all over Manchester and surrounding areas and worldwide on the internet. Uh, it's not an indie, it's not a rock and roll station. It's a mainstream station. Uh, but like I said, I'm in a privileged position where I do play two hours of, of my favourite records. And yeah, a, a little bit obscure, but I've also got to remember these people driving along in the car that perhaps aren't, isn't into, you know, obscure stuff so a little bit not as much as i'd like but as much as i as much as i can get away with well isn't that always the dream well i'd like to say dave thanks very much for appearing on the podcast today and um what's your favorite quo album my favorite quo album um there's so many right this second it might change in 10 minutes it either be mark kelly or rock till you drop I'd say one of them, but thank you so much for having me. And I really enjoyed the podcast and please, please keep up the great work you're doing. 